alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakum khair for joining us today on our program, Staying Resilient While the World Let's Palestine Bleed. This past week has been an emotional roller coaster for so many of us all around the world. There are moments that we felt so proud of our brothers and sisters for resisting occupation to feeling sadness and grief upon seeing the loss of life and destruction in the land of Gaza. Uh, some of us may be feeling a sense of hopelessness and despair as we are so far away and unable to directly support our brothers and sisters in their times of need. Today, we hope to have a conversation filled with prophetic wisdom and best practices to give us the necessary attitudes and practices and, and coping mechanisms so that we can best focus our efforts on staying resilient and helping our brothers and sisters and staying strong for the people of Palestine. My name is Othman Omarji, and I'll be moderating today's discussion with my beloved colleagues, uh, Sheikh Dr. Omar Suleiman and Sister Najwa, who is uh, very well known at Yaqeen as one of the most prolific writers, has written a lot about trauma and resiliency. So I just want to jump into the conversation today. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So just to start off with, I just want to acknowledge the plethora of emotions that everyone is probably feeling. Uh, again, those moments of optimism, uh, moments of sadness and tears, uh, moments of deep anger and frustration, and then of course just feeling confused because we have no idea what's going to happen, not tomorrow, but literally in this very moment, right, as we're on the verge of so many potentially scary things. And as believers, I just want to remind us all that we always begin to frame our mindsets and our attitudes from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And both of those beautiful sources are filled with so much inspiration. They're filled with so many lessons for us on how to train our minds to think about uh, calamity and catastrophes and disasters. So I just want to start this conversation off by asking you, Sheikh Omar, like, when you read the Qur'an or you read the seerah, are there any particular stories that pop out to you, any incidents from the life of the Prophet where you can really draw inspiration to kind of spiritually ground us when it comes to how we react to the situation of Gaza? So yesterday I was um, speaking about this in the khutbah, um, you know, sort of the way that the Qur'an gives us the story of the attitude after Badr, right? Uh, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that you made dua and he answered you and he gave you the angels and you saw the angels as support. And then Uhud, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, mentions, You're still the exalted one so long as you're believers. And then finally, Khandaq, um, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, those people who, when they were, you know, subhanAllah, if there's anything that resembles right now what the people of Gaza are in, it's probably Khandaq, right? Uh, people behind the trench, everything cut off from them. Even the Prophet is starving, no communication with the outside world. Um, you can't flinch, don't make a mistake. Um, they're trying to attack you from every direction, the largest army that uh, the Arabs have ever known. Um, and I think that's the one that really uh, strikes me um, personally. But to be honest, all of the seerah, all of the seerah um, is, is relevant in some way right now. Uh, at a personal level, at a community level, the Prophet ﷺ was able to still build his community, which is just a proof, honestly, of his prophethood, one of the proofs of his prophethood. He was still able to build this incredible community of Medina without really ever getting a break from the hostility of the outskirts of Medina. That never stopped, and even from the inside of Medina, the hostility, the aggression, the enmity, that never stopped. But look what the Prophet ﷺ was able to build. So even the happy stories that we read, 
even the stories of resilience, the stories of of their joy, uh, the jokes of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Like when is he racing Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha? He's, he's racing Aisha radiallahu anha on the way to and from uh, battles. You know, when is when are some of these jokes happening? Jokes not that are disconnected from reality, but sometimes to comfort and to quell um, you know, the, the anxiety of people. When are some of those, those lighthearted conversations happening? Some of them are happening in the midst of some of the most devastating moments. But what is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving? And this is something that I wanted to kind of get to in the khutbah. Um, when is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving the believers the greatest optimism? It's when the obstacles are the greatest ahead of them. And so that famous story where the Prophet strikes the stone in the building of the ditch. This is the very first moments of the construction of the ditch. Like Khandaq is going to get much tougher towards the last week, as is naturally understood, that the anxiety, the starvation, the the fears, all of that, you know, things starting to show a little bit of, of, of fault here or there, all of that's going to happen as time goes on in the Khandaq. But what did Allah show the Prophet Sallallahu and the companions in the very beginning? Some of the scholars say that it was the first day, some say it was the second day, when the Prophet struck the stone and Salman al-Farisi mentioned that a light came out of that stone and the Prophet said, وَتَمَّتْ كَرِمَةُ رَبِّكَ and the ayah and, and he said, Allahu Akbar, that the word of your your your, your, your Lord has been fulfilled in truth. لَا تَبْدِيلَ لِكَرِمَاتِ اللَّهِ There is no change. There is no changing the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allahu Akbar, Allah is greater. And the Prophet mentioning the keys of Rome, the keys of Yemen, that the light is shining from that ditch to the world around. Like think about Allah Azza wa Jal instilling in the Prophet and in the companions this level of optimism in the beginning. And I think that that's really important right now because I was listening to, um, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroy him and humiliate him. And, and you should and, say ameen and you can make dua against tyrants and aggressors and, and I think that that's an assumption that unfortunately a lot of Muslims don't understand that you can and should make dua against oppressors just as you make dua for the oppressed. Um, you know, when he, when he said, and with full arrogance, this is only the beginning. This is only the beginning. You know, uh, so, so the world is watching um, children being pulled out of the rubble, children decapitated, indeed children decapitated, not, not the hoax that was circulated against the Palestinians children decapitated and just desperation people starved off and you see the arrogance uh that this is just the beginning and i thought to myself subhanallah as i was you know preparing for the khutbah and reflecting on khandaq like what was the beginning of khandaq there's going to be light that comes after this it basically is in the matter with every hardship comes ease some of the ulama mention that of the beauties of that ayah and I know that, subhanAllah, Sister Najwa and Sister Sara co-authored the trauma book at Yaqeen, which, by the way, is an incredible resource. Please go read that book. It is so good. I personally benefited from it. I personally read it word for word and benefited from it. In the matter of Yusra, Surah Al-Duha, with hardship comes ease. Some of the scholars say that the beauty of that is that just at the same time, it's not after the hardship comes ease. Allah legislated the ease along with the hardship. The ease has already been decreed. The ease has already been decreed with the hardship. When? Allah knows best. But it has already been decreed. The victory has already been decreed. The end of this has already been decreed. We know. We know that victory is for the believers. We know 
that even if they die, kabir, as Allah mentions about Ashab al the people of the Transcendental Buruj, that they have succeeded. And that was something that the enemies could never understand, not back then and not now. Fustu Allah, Fustu Rabb al That we are successful so long as we remain believers. So Allah shows us the light from the very beginning. And the Prophet said that a shaheed, a shaheed, sees their place in Jannah with the first strike. Just like our mother Asya, the wife of the Pharaoh, when the Pharaoh of that time, as we have Pharaohs today, when the Pharaoh of that time tried to humiliate her and excruciate her, his own wife, uh, before the stone hit her, Allah already took the, the soul out. So a lot of what we are seeing of tragedy, let's also not lose our tawakkul, let's not lose our trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Prophet said, at the very beginning of the strike, see that, that idea, and again, Netanyahu, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroy him, yesterday was saying, at the you know, this is only the beginning, and I kept on thinking, this is only the beginning, the, the beginning of the trench was light before it got really, really, really dark for the month after, and the beginning of a person's being hurt uh, and even if they lose their life, is that they already see their eternal place in paradise. We need, this is a time for us to renew our faith. Like, I, I understand, subhanAllah, that, and Sister Najwa is here to, to write anything that I say wrong here, honestly, especially in, in, in the capacity of, like, mental health and how we're supposed to keep ourselves. And, and I don't say that, by the way, out of false humility. I'm not an expert on mental health. I don't I don't get this stuff. <laughs> but I will say that we can say with certainty, this is also a time to renew our iman. It's not just a time to get our mental health right. It's not just a time to... And those two things go hand in hand, right? But it's a time to renew our iman. Allah Azza wa said that when the believers were in the khandaq, zadahum imana. That when the people, the naysayers said, the odds are stacked against you, it increased them in faith. Not that they maintained their iman, it increased them in faith. What I'd like to actually, you know, put forth to, our, to to everyone that's here, let's be increased in our iman. Let's be increased in our iman when we see our brothers and sisters still, you know, retaining their faith as the bombs are falling on them. If they can retain their faith when the bombs are falling on them, how can we not retain our faith when we're watching the bombs fall on them? So let's let's increase in our iman. And increase iman increases bil amal. Right with 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 al-amal bil-iman. This is a part of the creed of, of of our deen too, that when you act, when you when you pray, when you when you exert yourself in prayer, when you exert yourself in good, when you exert yourself in charity, acts of charity, everything that you're doing, renew your intention for the sake of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. This will increase your iman. This will increase your faith. So let it increase your faith. Let this be a means. If you haven't been praying on time, your five prayers, start now. If you've been slacking in your du'a, let this be the catalyst of your du'a. Increase in your faith. And know that, that, that look, Don't be afraid. They should say as they're in the trench, Allah is with us, and we should say Allah is with them. And we want to be with who Allah is with. Now, make du'a for them. It is tragic. It is hard. You know, look, uh, and I'm going to end with this, inshallah, because I don't, I don't, I, this is a very long answer to the question. The Prophet ﷺ had a bigger heart than all of us. Azizun alayhi ma'anittum, harisun alaykum bil mu'mineen ra'ufun rahim. 
What do you think it was like for the Prophet to see innocent people killed? What do you think it was like for the Prophet to pick up uh, the mutilated bodies of people after Uhud? Like, what do you think that was like for the Prophet? How does a man with that big of a heart bear that? Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Prophet hurt for people. He really, really hurt for people. When he says that the Ummah is like one body, the Prophet, you better believe, was worried about every fingernail of that body. And it hurt him, sallallahu alayhi wa When people were hurt, it hurt him. The proof of that, you talk about trying to psychologically break him and mentally break him, is that Abu Jahl, the Fir'aun of his time, knew that in the boycott, when they boycotted the Prophet, sallallahu and Banu Hashim, that if we let the Prophet, sallallahu hear the cries of the children, it would torture him more. People, the children had no milk, they had no water. And so imagine the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi in his home, and everyone is is being you know tortured, and he can hear the children crying, and Abu Jahal and the likes of Abu Jahal say to Rasulullah this is because of you. This is all happening because of you. How does the heart of the Messenger bear all that? But you know what? We got to have big hearts for our people. We've got to have big hearts for our people. I know this is a, a, a webinar. You know, someone I've been getting so many texts, and, and may Allah reward you all. Um, those of you that have reached out and, and people people send a text and say, are you okay? And I'm like, am I supposed to be okay? No, I'm not supposed to be okay right now. We're not supposed to be okay. Of course I'm not okay. If, if I was okay, that would be a problem in my faith. I would think that that's a naqs in my iman. The, the, the body has a fever right now. We have a fever right now. We're sleepless and we have fevers. We should. If I'm okay, something is wrong. I don't want to be okay. But I do want to be productive. I don't want to be okay. I want to be productive. I want to be able to take this pain that I'm feeling and not let it paralyze me, but let it be the catalyst for my prayer. I know I've been slacking in my dua. Let this be the means. If I can't cry for myself and my own, then let me cry for them. And in dua, in kisar I want to take that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I want to let my not being okay be the means or be the reason for which you know I do other forms of khayr for those people. So we're not supposed to be okay right now. But we, we do need to take that not being okay and turn it into that which is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and actually can help our brothers and sisters right now uh, in Gaza. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, help us to help them. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not, you know, may He not allow us to seek comfort in this all for ourselves, but to seek victory for our brothers and sisters in the process. Someone walks up to me and says, um, how, do I, how, how, do, how do we deal with all the images? I say, listen, it's harder to be those images than to see those images. It's harder to be those images than to see those images. So any coping strategy that we have on a personal level to deal with uh, what we're seeing should be for the sake of being better for them. Should, and of course, you've got to put your oxygen mask on. You've got to take care of yourself so that you can take care of them. That's why, subhanAllah, we spiritually sustain ourselves with salah. We spiritually sustain ourselves with dua. We remind ourselves and we hope to increase our iman um, in all of this, inshaAllah ta'ala. Wallahu ta'ala. Wallahi barakhi, Shaykh Omar. Honestly, you touched on so many things. I just want to pick on one thing, which is we're not supposed to be okay. And that means that when, when you say that, I think what you're trying to say is that we're going to feel all these crazy emotions at the same time. And we don't need to suppress those and be upset at ourselves for feeling those things. One of the emotions that I find, at least myself having very, very often, is, is anger in this situation. And so I want to talk a little bit about that because sometimes people talk that 
uh, the statement that, well, don't be angry, don't be angry. And the way I see it is that, look, how can you not be angry when you see the, 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 the videos and the images and the statements from these arrogant tyrants, may Allah destroy them. And then even those videos, like I watched that, you know, that video of that uh, settler, you know, drinking the water and kind of, and, and mocking, right, the Palestinians who have no water. And in my and I was my blood was boiling, right? And I just started thinking about the verse in Surah Al-Araf when Allah Subhanahu says that the people of Hellfire will call up to the people of Jannah, saying, "Pour some water down to us." And Allah's going to say that that is forbidden to you today. Honestly, thinking about that verse, like it it made me feel good a little bit. So I want to come back a little bit to this idea of so anger itself is emotion that, of course, if it's not channeled properly, it can lead lead to really, really wrong behaviors. But if it's channeled properly, it can be something which Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala rewards. So how do we channel? that anger in a way that is productive and beneficial like you've spoken about. So maybe Nedra, I'll start with you and then Shikhomer, you can jump in. Sure. <clears throat> so anger actually is a secondary emotion. There's always, most of the time, there is a primary emotion behind it. Meaning that because it's so uncomfortable to deal with that primary emotion, the anger comes comes up. So oftentimes it's a sense of hopelessness, it's vulnerability, it's sadness, and it's easier to feel that anger than to deal with the vulnerability that a person is experiencing. Mm. And so when we tap into that primary emotion and we sit with it and we honor it, then we're able to process through it. So with the situation with the with the Zionist who was you know, proud of uh, you know him having water and the Palestinians not having water, you know, what is that primary emotion? It is a feeling of helplessness. It's that vulnerability. So working with that and sitting through that, and then, like you said, anger can be very destructive. It gives us this sense of haste, and in that haste, we make we can make really rash decisions. So what we want to do is, how can I turn this, uh, this hopelessness, how can I turn this anger into something that Allah will ple be pleased with and something that can be productive? So I'm going to make sure, inshallah, that I'm going to donate so that, you know, when things open up, there's going to be water for them. I'm going to make that. I'm going to turn this helplessness, instead of letting it, letting it uh, um, uh, demobilize me, I'm going to use it for good. I'm going to be inspired. I'm going to take that, that negative emotion and then, and then do, do well with it. And, you know, when, we, when we're talking about trauma, you know, the fight or flight response is normal, but the dangerous the dangerous response is when we freeze. So when we are fight, you know, when we're when we have that that anger with us, that means that um, you know, that is good. That our body is getting the cue that we need to take action. That there's something that we need to do. It's when we sit back and we get helpless, uh, you know, uh, helpless and, and and fall into despair that we become stuck. And then the the anger festers and it becomes even worse. And not just for your mental health, but uh, for your your spiritual health. I would add to that, you know, the description of our Messenger is The Prophet never was vengeful for himself. It was never about him, alayhi salatu wasalam. It was about the limits of Allah being crossed and the most sacred limit of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the ird, the dignity of your brothers and sisters. And so one thing about the Prophet is that, man, people did all sorts of things to him. All sorts of things to him. I mean, you read 
Like it's it's very interesting because you read some of these stories and you get mad for him. <laughs> like the types of things that people did to him and how he responded. And you know, you kind of can take that and you can you can say, like, like, wow, you know, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, what a beautiful man he was, and indeed what the most beautiful of all, right? But then there is also like, man, if I was there, like Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, when he describes just you know the, the man who 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 you know lunges at the Prophet and starts grabbing his garment, like suffocating him and saying, "Aatani mimma Allah. Give me what give me from what Allah gave me gave you. Give me from what Allah gave you." And Anas radiallahu anhu is like upset for the Prophet and he said the Prophet smiled at him, took off the the garment, you know, and it left marks on his neck. And he gave it to him and he said, Anas, go take him to Beit al and give him some charity as well. Anas is like, I'm upset, right? I'm upset for the Prophet So the Prophet himself faced all sorts of disrespect, all sorts of, of harm. And the greatest sign of that was in Uhud, when they were knocking out his teeth, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. he was saying, Oh Allah, forgive my people, they don't know any better. But that's for him. That's for him. But when you transgressed his companions, when you transgressed other people, then there was an anger that the Prophet ﷺ had that was significant. You could see it in him, وسلم. And it's not that he was less merciful, it's that he was merciful for them. Why are you angry at the guy who's mocking the people that don't have any water? You have water, we have water, right? We have water with us. Why were you you're angry for them? So it's out of your rahmah, your mercy for them that you are so angry. Your, your anger has to be from a righteous place and then it has to have a righteous manifestation to it. And so the ulama even mentioned in the Quran, those who swallow their anger, not those who don't have anger. Right, and we miss we, we, we misinterpret that verse sometimes because like we're never supposed to be mad. No, you're supposed to be mad sometimes. You're supposed to get angry sometimes, and especially um, you know when this is happening. So not for your nafs. Like, look, uh, I can take it for me, but get away from that child in Gaza. Get away from that 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 woman in Gaza, right? Like, like I can. And, and of course, not, not accept oppression for myself. But I'm saying like, you can tolerate some of the the infractions and have hilm and have forbearance. And that is indeed sunnah to be able to to take, you know, uh, certain things and, and to bear the ignorance of people. There's so many different like ayat and verses to that. But no, like right now, when you're seeing what's happening to your brothers and sisters and innocent people, you better be angry. If you're not angry again, that's an iman problem. You need to have anger. You should be upset. But where is your anger coming from and how are you going to manifest that anger now? So let your anger come from a place of righteousness and then let it be acted upon in a righteous way as well. And that's where I'll also say one last thing here, which is, look, um, you know, how do you know when it's for your nafs and, and not for, 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 for someone else as well? Um, you know, a lot of times you see people go out to these protests. And I know there are a lot of protests this weekend, right? And I encourage protesting as one means for Palestine right now. I mean, you saw the numbers in London right now. You saw, like, this is, this is important for us to use what we have, anything at our disposal, right? And you get someone out there sometimes that's, that's acting a fool, right? That's 
that's not being helpful at all. That's disrespecting the organizers. That's, you know, just, just confronting random people on the street all the while while having their camera on, right? Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm this, this right now. And like, who's that for? Mm. What are you doing this for? Like, and I, I'm not, and I'm not saying that I can question everyone's intentions, but it does particularly uh, upset me <laughs> when, when I like, you got someone with their camera on and that's, that's the era of social media, right? Like just go out there and, 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 and act foolish, right? And you're not helping anybody. You're not helping the cause at right. all. So your anger should be from a righteous place and it should manifest in a righteous way. From a righteous place is like the heart of the messenger, والسلام, in a righteous way is in accordance with the boundaries and the sunnah and the guidance of the Prophet So obviously not all protests are alike. Um, you know, some of them indeed have elements that are, that are, that are not permissible and things of that sort. But right now, um, use every platform that you have, inshallah ta'ala. We should use our collective and individual voices to try to raise the plight of the Palestinians who cannot raise their own plight, especially as the internet has gone out and, and the power has gone out. I want to pick up on this point about one of the things that adds to this feeling of anger is a language that we see being used in the media constantly to describe um, the situation. So it's not this is outside of the images and the videos, but when you hear things, statements put out, um, X number of uh, Israelis were killed, and then you know a large number of Palestinians died, right? As if somehow they just died by themselves, right? And there was no one behind it, and that's also part of what boils your anger. I think a lot about how the, even from like a religious perspective, as much as we're against that like that wrong use of language in the media, the Quran actually and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala actually attempt to reshape our language as well to bring us hope and optimism. So I think about the word death, and like. Even when it comes to saying they died, that's actually not a Quranic approach to it. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, right? Right? Like this idea that even we shouldn't allow ourselves to get stuck into the secular framing of saying these things like, oh, they passed away. It's very passive. Like they are living, they're alive. So I just wanted to ask both of you to chime in on how we can possibly reframe things, leveraging like Quranic language and, and prophetic reframing in a way that kind of, again, gives us strength to move forward with this. Um, Sister Najwa, why don't you start, inshallah? I'll, I'll let you take the lead. Jazakumullah <laughs> khair. Um, I think, look, uh, it, it's really interesting because the Quran, like like you said, is one. Like, don't think they're dead. Don't think of them as dead. So that's kind of like more to like your psychology, your framing. And Allah also says, Don't say of those who have been killed in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that they're dead, right? But ahya, rather they're alive. Um, but at the same time, innaka mayyitun wa innahum mayyitun, you will die, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and they too will die. So there's obviously the, um, you know, uh, the sort of physical dimension of this, and then there are the connotations. And Allah Azawajal is indeed telling us to think about how we think about these things, right? The framing and what we're saying and, and, and think about the deeper meaning uh, of uh, their words, and so, you know, when when they want to use killed and and dead and and, and dehumanize, uh, yeah, I mean, we have to be very careful to first and foremost not ingest that type of language and framing in ourselves. And what I think of, um, you know, I, I think of of these people entering into the realm of al barzakh and being greeted. Um, by the Prophet ﷺ and being greeted by the believing souls. You know, by the way, um, something about Gaza. Gaza was already 60% refugee. 
there are people that have been moved to Gaza already uh, through other um, you know, forms of expulsion in different parts of Palestine. And Gaza has lived through a lot of wars already, a lot of bombardments already, a lot of crisis already. So you know what? Um, there isn't a single person that was murdered in Gaza in this last cycle that doesn't have someone that was murdered in one of the previous cycles hmm. that has not sent ahead of them shuhada. You think about the psychology there, right? Hmm. Every single person who was murdered in this cycle knows someone and is close to someone who has been murdered, you know, two years ago or four years ago or six years ago, right? And so when they're going on to that next life, they're seeing the relatives that they once pulled out of the rubble as well. And for these children, these children, you know, I was looking at this kid, I think... And, and yeah, these images are really hard. The seven year, the seven, not seven year old, the seven day old baby even saw a man whose wife was killed in one of the airstrikes holding the fetus, um, you know, the miscarried fetus as a result of the air, the airstrikes. I thought, subhanAllah, you know, some of these people came into this dunya for three, four, five days and bidnillahi ta'ala have Jannah forever. Jannah forever, bidnillahi ta'ala. And so look, we have to comfort ourselves, but not just comfort ourselves with like this, this, you know, uh, maybe abstract reality. No, no, like our dead are in Jannah, bidnillahi ta'ala. And what to nafil Jannah, right? Our dead are in Jannah, inshallah ta'ala. So exactly, exactly. And subhanAllah, that's like, it's really interesting that like Allah Azzawajal speaks to the oppressor and the oppressed in the same, the same, uh, the same uh, ayah. وَمَا كَانَ رَبُّكَ نَسِيَّ Your Lord does not forget is what gives the greatest comfort your Lord does not forget is what gives the greatest comfort to the oppressed and the greatest fear to the oppressor. Don't think your Lord has forgotten what you have committed of oppression. And don't think, oh, oppressed one, that your Lord has forgotten the oppression that was committed against. Allah does not forget. And so, yeah, we have to, we have to do this in a way that doesn't make us um, less outraged about the murder. Less outrage. Like this is the, the the balancing act here. I have no doubt that every single person that has been killed, bidnillahi ta'ala, will have the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala realized. But I am still just as outraged at the killing taking place itself because that is fasad fil ard. That is corruption on the face of this earth. What Allah does with those who are subjected to the corruption of the of this earth. That's his domain, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and entirely his domain. But what Allah Azzawajal has given me and you and every single person on here, the ability to do to stop that corruption on earth, knowing that it's all ultimately in his hands, that's what I need to worry about as well. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be paralyzed over the domain of the divine that I can't control at all. And I will work within the domain of the divine that he has given me the ability to work within. That makes sense. That's beautiful. I mean, honestly, that, that's that statement I want to come back to just to, to come full circle. Like, I feel like, like you're saying you feel the pain in your heart and that's not going to disappear and the anger about the about the, the injustice. But up here, you have to reframe it and say, look, like Omar bin Khattab said, like they lost Uhud and, you know, they're sitting there, the, the Kufar are celebrating, saying, look, you know, a day for a day. And it's like, 
No, 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 no. At the end of the day, all of our dead, they go to paradise, right? All of your dead, right? They go somewhere far worse, right? They go somewhere terrible, right? And I think that does bring some level of comfort to us. Um, so I want to take that idea and say, okay, like now poses to you, Nejwa, like, that's, that's, that's a tough thing to do for many people, and that's a secondary step. I think with many people, um, especially for those of us who are really empaths and feel kind of the pain of others, when you watch these, um, these videos and you see these images, like you're just feeling their pain and overcome with the sadness and grief. So at that moment, right, before you can get to be able to calmly, you know, rationalize this, do you have any steps that we can use to kind of help us best cope with this and get ourselves into a better frame of mind? Yeah, and Paul, you know, I love how Chef Omar talked about the whole, it's a very big concept in psychology, especially when you're dealing with difficult feelings, oscillating between the difficult feelings and what you have to do, oscillating, going, meaning like if you were to take the metaphor of a, a, a fan, you know, everybody has like a, a fan that kind of goes back and forth in the room, that um, you, we need to take these feelings and we need to, uh, we need to feel them, right? Because when we suppress them, when we don't acknowledge them, we don't give them their rights, then there is injustice to ourselves, but also the people who are, who are suffering. And so there is good in us feeling our feelings, especially empaths. Like this is how we connect with each other. And, you know, um, there is this, uh, aspect of psychology called parts work where we, acknowledge all parts and we thank them for what they what the service the, what they're trying to provide us so we can work through them so so when we are seeing sadness our goal is not to get rid of the sadness like we said earlier the, the sadness is justified of course we're going to feel fat, sad there's going to be there's something wrong with us if we don't feel sad so we acknowledge that part and say thank you sadness Thank you, sadness, because I know I'm connected with my brothers and my sisters. We say, you know, thank you, fear, because it means that there is urgency in the situation and I need to take action. So we acknowledge those feelings. The difficulty comes in when we get stuck, when the fan gets stuck and it's not able to go. And so what we want to do is we, we want to feel those feelings and then we need to take care of ourselves so we can take care of other people and be strong for the other people who need it right? They don't want us to feel bad with them. They want us to join them in, in, in and acknowledging the injustice. They want us to um, feel bad for what's going on. But for us to sit and wallow in and despair and, and immobilize ourselves, uh, I mean, uh, you know, not, uh, take away our ability to do anything, then we are not doing us a service and we're not helping them either right it shouldn't be done for ourselves it's done for the sake of Allah it's done for them so we want to get into this habit of I am feeling sad but then I have to go do the dishes I'm feeling sad uh, I'm feeling scared but I have to go take care of my children right going back and forth because routine during this time I'm sure both of your routines are completely out of whack right but as human beings, we need a certain level of routine in order to avoid burnout and, and in order to keep going. So I, I feel very upset, but I have to go what I need to do. And I come back. I come back and forth. I'm upset, but I'm going to go for a run because this is going to sustain me. And there's a concept in psychology. It's called containment. And they found this in, in trauma work, you know, decades ago, where people would talk about really, really horrific things in therapy, in trauma therapy. And then it's like, okay, time's up. And they go back to the real world. And the therapist found them completely dysregulated. Like, how do you deal with such horrific things? 
okay, I'm going to go back to work now. I'm going to go with my family. So there, there is this technique of containment. And for people who are kind of foreign to therapy, it's going to sound really weird, but it works. It's evidence-based and it works. And so what you do is you, you, know, you feel your feelings, but in our day that we're going to have to put them to the side so we can do what we need to do. So I can do this uh, video stream. So I can go and, and sit with my kids and give them the attention that they need. So what you do is you visualize those feelings as though it's an object in front of you. So my, my grief is a black cloud and it smells smoky and it's big and I can't see through it. And so you sit there and you put your feelings into that object. And then what you want to do is you want to contain it. You want to compartmentalize it. So I'm going to take this grief and I'm going to put it in a box. It can be any kind of box, a treasure chest, uh, a Tupperware, whatever. You hear all kinds of things. You want to put it in there and you want to use all of your senses. You know, my treasure is black and it has gold metal on it. It opens from the top and it's velvet on the inside. You want to use all of those senses and then you put it in that container. And then you put that container away. I want to put it in my garage. I want to put it under a bunch of blankets. And so the idea is we're not suppressing our emotions. We're practicing putting it away and then bringing it back out when we need to. So right now I'm putting it away for this. And then later, when I need to access it, when I need to go to an event uh, or whatever, I'm going to pull it back out and use it. And it's kind of like when you talk about the process and I'm, you know, joking and doing some of these things, you know, during some of the most difficult times, that's exactly what it reminded me of. So you're able to go back and forth. And that's how we will continue to go. Because even after this passes, there's going to be so much work to do. So we can't burn out now. We have to keep going. We have to, to stay strong. Live by Fiki, like that was that was so beautiful. Um, I'll be honest, like I've I've had to take like I have to take like hour long walks pretty much every morning just to just decompress and start my day, because I, I just felt overwhelmed. And I was like, if I just get on my computer and start working and then get those images and get the news, like it's just it's too much. So, um, I want to quickly just take a moment to let the audience know that we 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 recognize that there are probably many questions on your own minds. Um, we want to give you a chance, so please ask your questions in the chat, and uh, inshallah, Dr. Omar and Sister Nedra will take those questions live. So please just get those uh, those questions going. Um, maybe one last question as those questions start to come in is that, um, you know, subhanAllah, uh, Sheikh Omar, you, you started with this in the beginning. I want, to, I want to kind of come back to this towards the end, which is that all these terrible things that are being said, right, cause sadness, they cause grief, they cause anger, they cause all these things. And this is nothing new. Right, the Prophet ﷺ and the companions were ridiculed, mocked, all kinds of things. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala acknowledged the pain that it caused the Prophet Muhammad. ﷺ, right? He said, right? So like Allah is saying to the Prophet ﷺ that we know, like we we know how much pain the words that are out there are causing you. So whether that be the things like today, like you know, we see like our who we thought were friends, you know, saying horrible things about the Palestinians. Right, people who we look up to, right, in social media, saying horrific things, like all those things hurt. And then, of course, even straight to our face sometimes, maybe it's our coworkers or our classmates. Now, what I always think about is that the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu was the most beloved of the creation, and Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala could have just wiped those people off the face of the earth if they caused them an iota of pain, but He actually allowed the allowed them to do that with His hikmah, and then He told the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu what to do, right, and He told him. Right, that you know, praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and be amongst those who prostrate and put your head on the ground. Um, I know people often speak about prayer as like a as a coping tool, and I, and I think that's something that, that it's important and we can speak about.
but for you specifically, Sheikh Omar, can you please speak about like the power of prayer and du'a as and dhikr as not simply a coping tool, but as actually as part of resistance, actually as part of nasr, and how that fits into this big picture. Zakallah khair. Um, there's so much I want to speak to, um, but you know, obviously, we do want to take our, our questions from the audience too in that regard. Um, look, uh, the Prophet was able to distinguish between someone who was genuinely ignorant and someone who was intentionally malicious. That's one. And, and I know that that's been, that's really hard because you really don't feel like explaining things to people right now. Like, we only have so much capacity right now and we're hurt. Um, we're angry. Um, you know, you just, you see someone write something and you're just like, what? Like, come on. Like, so, so you have to have the hidden, that's part of the forbearance that some people really just don't know any better. And so someone who's being intentionally malicious versus someone who's just woefully ignorant and there's a propaganda war. And the reason why there's a propaganda war is because propaganda exploits people's ignorance. So we have to do a better job, by the way, uh, on that note of talking about Palestine outside of when Gaza is being bombed. All right. That's that's one of the core problems here is that we we kind of let it out of sight when there's settler violence, when there is, um, you know, all sorts of incursions and aggressions against Masjid al-Aqsa, all things that are illegal under international law, by the way. And we don't we don't put that forward. We kind of let it out of sight. And uh, we let the news cycle dictate our emotions. So you have to have uh, a little bit of forbearance and tolerance for the person that's just really ignorant, that just doesn't understand better uh, and, and, and speak to them. Um, that's different between someone uh, like many of the, the Zionist trolls that are in our chat right now and uh, those that are on social media and those that, um, you know, attack maliciously, um, you know, celebrate the, the death of, of Gazan children um, and then, and then somehow, uh, you know, come, come at us and say that we're bloodthirsty savages. Like, all right, you know. So that's different from from uh, from someone, your friend at school or, or at work, who just doesn't know any better, right? And I say, give that person a chance and, and maybe talk to them. Um, I've had a couple of those conversations, um, you know, over the last few days, and I had to sort of suppress my emotion and, and some of the ignorance that was being said. But but there, sometimes it's worth that call. Sometimes it's worth that conversation. Um, actually, someone who was, who was who was a professional athlete who reached out and was like, "Man, I don't know what's going on." You know, the NFL is forcing everyone to do this uh, thing uh, tomorrow, and he's not Muslim. And Subhanallah, the guy the guy is uh, is first time speaking to him. He's like, "You know, I see what you're posting. I see what's going. I'm I'm confused because." We're getting fed talking points. We're supposed to do all this stuff. Help me understand this. You know, uh, are you okay with 40 babies being killed? I'm like, no, of course not. You know, I've, I've, you know, we put our lives on the line for non-Muslim civilians, by the way, right? <laughs> uh, Jewish, Christian, and otherwise when they're attacked uh, because we, we're, 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 no, we're against that uh, aggression. And by the way, that's fake news. And by the way, you, you've been, you've been duped. I'm like, oh, really? Like if, if I just read his first message and didn't go you know, forward, I would have been like, man, forget this guy. He is, he's got no hope. Um, and now, uh, now he is, uh, uh, he's trying to put like, um, uh, some charity, like Islamic charities on his cleats for tomorrow, That's right? Really like for, for Palestine, he's not even Muslim. Uh, and I, and I hope he succeeds in that inshallah ta'ala. But, but like, that's the thing you got to have like some hidden for people, some forbearance for the person who really does not know any better. Cause they've been, 
man, they've been fed a lot of garbage, a lot of garbage. Like you turn on CNN for a few minutes and you're just like, what in the mm -hmm. world? Like this is CNN when, you know, like you're supposed to be mainstream media and you're just sitting there repeating debunked lies over and over again. But I guess if the president can do it, so can you, right? So um, you got to understand the woefully ignorant versus the malicious, uh, the intentionally malicious. Uh, the intentionally malicious deserve no sympathy from us whatsoever. And, um, you know, I, 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 I pray that they, that, that they, they face the consequences from, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for their intentional malice. Uh, and for the, the woefully ignorant, may Allah forgive them and guide them and help them see the truth of this and many other things uh, in that process. And we've got to have a bigger heart for them. Um, but with that being said, when you got the power structures and all that, that is uh, sort of parroting, um, parroting this dehumanizing rhetoric, um, no, challenge that. We have to challenge that. And I know that there is a, a concept of... Uh, like you know, we we can't be we can't be too loud right now. What 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 if this happens? What if that happens? Look, we we've got this is a very very different time. This is a turning point. Um, we can't wait anymore. Be smart, be but be courageous. Uh, we can't wait any longer. Um, we have to raise our voices. Whoever has a voice, raise it, in, in any way that you can. Inshallah, Taala. And when it comes to prayer and du'a, look. Uh, if I got uh, 30 million retweets or whatever it is, whatever you call that platform now, um, telling Jordan Peterson to go to hell, uh, I put more value in a single dua between me and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one private dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and find that to be far more effective because there's nothing more effective than your dua. There's nothing more effective than your supplication. So supplicate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and realize that there is no such thing as a pointless du'a. No such thing as a pointless du'a. Not one sincere du'a will ever be in vain. Leave it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at that point. You're not just coping. You are actually contributing with your du'a, inshallah ta'ala. The last thing I'll say, inshallah, really quickly. Um, you know, the Muslim ummah is like a body. Uh, so just like we feel the pain, of other parts of the body. We don't cause pain to other parts of the body too. So you got to strengthen your part of the body, uh, hold up your end of the bargain. That means that your general righteousness or your general wickedness affects the entire body too, outside of Palestine, right? Mm -hmm. So make sure that you're a stronger part of the body, not a weaker part of the body and not self-inflicting harm in other ways uh, as you're trying to help your brothers and sisters in Palestine. Ledger, you want anything? We can jump to the questions or else. Um, well, you know, when you talk about doing our, our part, you know, subhanAllah, I think there is some sense of, like, survivor's guilt, right? Maybe not in a traditional sense, like you are in a car accident and you make it and the other person doesn't. But it's like we are, we are on the outside and we're not able to see and we're not able to we feel like we're not able to help those on the uh, on the inside, and I think that's what you know contributes to to people feeling um, to people feeling stuck. Because Allah, Allah has given all of us different abilities, you know, and we have to use our God given talents in order to 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 help in any way that we can. So you know, some people might be good at you know uh, getting people together, organizing events. Go organize events, and some people if are like maybe they're good at art 
go make posters, go make community artwork. Uh, some people might say, well, I'm not good at anything. I'm not good at, I, all I can do is make food and tea. Then go take it to the protesters. We all have to do our part because we have to take back the narrative. There's a very dominant narrative, like you said, with CNN, with all these people. And, and that's their goal, right? It's not just to, um, you know, take away that power from the Palestinians, but it's also to make us feel weak. And so it is our responsibility to take that narrative and to reframe it and empower ourselves, inshallah. Hello, everybody, Fiki. Actually, the question that's coming in is exactly related to this, so I think we can build on it. Um, we have a question from uh, Nahid Rahman. He said, as alaykum, would you please remind us, uh, remind us of some hadith or Quranic ayat that will give us hope that there's something to look forward to regarding Palestine? So maybe a couple of du'as or um, ayat that you both find inspirational. Um, as you're thinking, the obvious thing comes to my mind is... You know, I know for me specifically. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, you know, um, it, there is a hadith about like, a, you know, the, the Ummah is like, a, um, it, it's one, um, it's like one body, you know, when you have the one part, the whole part is affected. But now there's another hadith that the, the Ummah is also like um, a believer to another believer is like a building whose different parts enforce each other. Mm. And so, you know, we, we feel pain from each other, but we also can help support each other. And so by us showing up and doing our part and being strong for them and, and helping them as much as we can, inshallah, I pray that we can, you know, help uplift them. Wonderful. From one of the first verses that was revealed to the Prophet in Medina was Surah Al-Saf. Um, and what you like even beyond Jannah. What you like, because Allah already mentioned um, paradise and and the promises there, but um, you know Allah then said uh, His aid and His victory. It's close. And then Allah Subhanahu wa Taala revealed Ida Nasrullahi wal at the end. Right? It came now. So it's close, and then it came. Uh, our entire Deen is it's close and it's coming, uh, and then it's close and then it came. Uh, so it's going to, um, inshallah ta'ala, change. And, you know, the Prophet Sallallahu talked about Palestine. He talked about Mazal Aqsa. He talked about the end. But the end of this ummah is khayr. The end of this ummah as a whole is goodness. And, um, you know, I, I was reflecting even, again, like, like you read about South Africa and anti-apartheid activism in South Africa. Like, you know, majority of them were not believers there were many muslims involved in in, in the anti-apartheid movement in south africa uh, but if they could if they could persevere and see the light at the end of the tunnel facing apartheid the mammoth of apartheid what about a people of iman a people of faith and so like i, I think that we have something far greater and by the way i i, I see that there are a lot of uh not just non-muslim uh uh, non-Muslims in the chat, but there are some people that are not Muslim, but they want to stand with Palestine. Um, you know, we appreciate you and, and we thank you for that. And that's a part of a natural, the, you know, the fitra is, is belief in, in God. It's also, you know, towards those things that a lot that God has put inside of us. And so um, we appreciate that, um, that solidarity, um, you know, from you as well. 
I'll, I'll just add a couple of things that um, I, gives me a lot of solaces, uh, repeating la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah to kind of build off what you said, Sheikh Omar. Like this constant reminder that nothing, no, there's no power out there, there's no might, there's no ability for anything to happen except if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills it and He allows it. And everything that He wills happens with His wisdom. And then hasbunallah wa ni'amul wakil, you mentioned that entire issue of, of the khandaq and, and that this is the ad when, there, when there's a moment of fear, right, that increases us in faith, the response is, why, why is it, why should there be an increase in faith? Right? It's because Allah is enough for us. Right? It's, it's, we don't expect right, the world um, to join, especially you know, the Western powers, uh, to, to support the plight of the Palestinians. But if we have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that is sufficient for us. So I'll go to the next question, which is from Aisha Muhammad. And her question is, how do we navigate the workplace uh, environment and, the, and kind of the interviews that, that we get asked to do as Muslims? There are so many U.S.-based companies who are now profiling Muslims uh, and firing them uh, on the basis of supporting Palestine? So I would say, um, you know, I, I, just an experience this morning, by the way, um, I'm very hesitant, obviously, with, with the media right now, with the mainstream media and, and the way that they're splicing interviews. Like I got, I got a text uh, yesterday morning uh, from a mainstream interviewer. And I'm not, like, I wish I was making this up. I couldn't believe what I was reading. But uh, how are Muslims planning to respond to the global day of jihad called by Hamas on Friday? Uh, by the way, it's Saturday. Uh, I hope uh, you all saw what happened uh, yesterday around the country because clearly our masjids, we were just burning flags and, and shouting and, and, and doing all sorts of horrible things. I mean, this is a mainstream. I was like, are you serious? Are you serious right now? Right? So it's like, this is, this is the level of, of, of craziness that we're dealing with um, when it comes to the media narrative and how this is being spun. Um, and, and how Muslims, it's kind of like 9-11 all over again, right? Like right after 9-11, do you condemn? What are you going to do about this? And how are you, uh, you know, uh, how are you going to stop extremism in your community? It's like, how are you going to stop the bombing of people to pieces in one of the worst war crimes that we've seen in recent years? Uh, so it's, it's tiring. It's exhausting. I'll say this. Um, this is very, I think, from a strategic perspective. When I say that, um, uh, it's important to not put everyone in the same the same uh, box here. I just came from the Indian American Muslim uh, Councils Convention, and may Allah subhanahu wa taala be with our brothers and sisters in India. Two hundred million Muslims, ten percent of the body, and they're facing the tactics uh, of the Modi regime, which is very similar to the Netanyahu regime. Fascism in India and fascism in Israel are twins. Uh, that you got the Citizenship Act in India, you have the Jewish nation state law in, in, in Israel, you know, uh, attacking the Palestinians and, and, and literally uh, robbing them of any, any type of human dignity. It's being done to Indian Muslims. You got lynchings and bulldozings of homes, um, all sorts of things, right? Very similar. A lot of the tech wars, uh, the bots, many of whom are in this chat right now, I'm sure, are based out of India. Uh, so Israeli and India, Indian propaganda uh, work hand in hand. And there was a reporter there who had, um, you know, uh, reached out for an interview to me. And, and I turned down the interview, not understanding, um, you know, or, or not, not, not anticipating that it was going to be, um, you know, done in a fair way. Uh, but, but it was done in writing. And when I met the actual reporter, I was actually really, really pleasantly surprised that they were there this morning at the IAMC convention covering um you know what sort of the, the the relationship between the plight of indian muslims and the plight of, of, of the palestinians um, against fascism uh all this to say um 
when you have the access in your company or or you have the access um, in, in, in any type of place where you can actually request a private sit down, do so. Uh, so some people need to be shamed in public. Some people need to be approached in private. And sometimes those conversations behind the scenes can actually reshape a lot of what ends up coming out in the public. I know that a lot of these conversations have been happening in certain newsrooms. I see, I can't speak of them um, publicly, but I'm, I'm, I'm privately uh, privy to a lot of them. And I see the, I see the shift um, in some of these places, some of these corporations. Um, most of them just, just say, uh, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know of a, of a nice way to say, basically get lost uh, when they're approached, um, these powerful billionaires and, and you know, and, and uh, people that, that are in, in very influential places that really don't care to hear even uh, their, you know, some of their own partners uh, within corporations and firms. But there have been some that have surprisingly responded to like a private email and said, all right, I'm, I'm open to a conversation. Help me understand this. And then you can see the shift done in what comes out of that, uh, that place. And so I think if you're in a place where you can send that email from a place of concern, um, it's got to be a dual prong strategy. You got to have the sort of the justice oriented uh, side of this. And then you got to have the person that says, I'm concerned about this and let's have a conversation about it because I want you to hear what you're not, what you're clearly not hearing. Uh, and that could shift things in the public as well. Uh, I'll give an example of that uh, just to chime in uh, a group of brothers in the community who I, I, you know, very dear to me. And uh, they said that they sent a letter that they got 55 people in their, in their tech company to sign that, you know, they felt that the message was, was imbalanced and, and, you know, that was coming out because people had no shame in, in, in saying things that were pro-Israeli. And the company took that and actually they put out a statement that, um, Look, it's at the end of the day, it's it's PC, right? It's not pro-Palestinian, but it was saying, look, we just we acknowledge that there's loss of life, and we mourn the loss of life, right? Like I think that is a victory, right? Rather than it being purely purely one-sided. So, you know, just because you can't achieve it all doesn't mean you should abandon it all. Um, other I want to actually actually hear this out, like just to see yeah, where this yeah. is. Though. In the NFL right now, where they're doing these moments of silence, the NFL refused to even mention Palestinian lives after. Mm-hmm the Israel attack, right? When they say like the attack on Israeli civilians, they refuse. Like, like they're not even willing to all lives matter it. Uh, some companies will kind of budge and like, okay, mm-hmm. like civilian life is a tragedy. We pray for civilian loss uh, in Israel and Gaza. Like some companies are at least willing to kind of, at least all lives matter this thing. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. you know, some of these corporations won't even all lives matter, which just shows you how, how hateful and spiteful and malicious they actually are and how dominated um, they are by this despicable dehumanization of the Palestinian people. Uh, it, it really is sick. Uh, so, but, but, but do, do what you can. If you can, you can at least get people to acknowledge Palestinian humanity and not, uh, not go after, uh, you know, folks for just voicing their conscience and, and, and speaking up for justice, then, then definitely do so. So sometimes those letters, look, I, there's, there's a, a a GM of an NBA team who responded to a private email from just a random community member. And it's led to an engagement that we're trying to have right now about their statement. I mean, it was, it was actually fascinating, right? Just someone wrote an email, just a normal community member to the, to the GM of an NBA team. And the guy actually responded and said, I'm willing to talk about the statement and see what we can do. And when we're, we're organizing a conversation for this afternoon, so you never know. That's incredible. Mashallah. Right. So that's part of the optimism, right? You never know that little be the little deed, right? If you're sincere, how far it can go. 
live by fake. Okay, one more question coming up from uh, our sister Olivia Harris. She's asking that are these events a sign of the day of judgment? Absolutely. Um, look, there there are many signs of the day of judgment that have happened, um, but one of them, uh, even if you just if you just take away uh, the sanctity of Al Aqsa itself, the sanctity of Jerusalem itself, one of them is Al Haraj, just senseless killing. Look, there was a you know there was an idea, you know, at some point that you know one of the reasons why some of the catastrophes that happened in the twentieth century. You know, um, from from the Holocaust to then going into Bosnia and, and so many other things is that there wasn't coverage that it happened in the dark, right? And that if people saw it, they wouldn't let it happen. I think that there has been plenty of evidence now that people can be brutalized on the screens of 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 of, of you know people around the world, and the world will will not do anything about it. Uh, that in and of itself, it's not just the corruption; it's the desensitization towards that corruption. It's when people become okay with this stuff. Uh, to see the murder uh, of, of, of so many people, people starve to death, uh, bombing of hospitals. I mean, name a war crime and Gaza is facing it right now, right? Name a war crime, Gaza is facing it, right? And people don't care. A lot of people don't care. Uh, you care, those of you that are on this webinar, may Allah bless you all. A lot of you care, and, and I assume all of you care and want to do something about it. But the Prophet talks about the desensitization of this all, towards this all. But I will say this, because we do need to end on a on, 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 on a hopeful note, inshallah ta'ala, because uh, it's important. Look, if you lived during the Crusades, where the Crusaders um, uh, massacred um, Muslims, in fact... Uh, Jews, in fact, uh, other Christians, and uh, rode through Jerusalem with the blood to their horses' knees, and 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 ate people, uh, and and desecrated everything that was sacred, and there was no adhan in Al Aqsa for almost an entire century, and while that's happening, you know, there's havoc being wreaked on every single part, you know, of the Ummah. Like you would have probably thought the Day of Judgment's tomorrow. Like, there is no way we're reaching the year 1300, right? You would have thought there's no way we're reaching the year 1300. Here we are, it's 2023. So the point is, is that when we see these signs of the Day of Judgment, they don't need to be signs of the Day of Judgment to be evil. And what Allah has tasked you with is, when you see evil, change it with your hand. If you can't change it with your, hung, with your hand, change it with your tongue. And if you can't speak about it with your tongue, at least hate it in your heart. And that is the weakest of iman. So you have a responsibility to when you see munkar to do something about the munkar, whether the evil, munkar being evil, whether it's a sign of the Day of Judgment or not. All right, another question coming from Nuri Ali. Is there a specific surah that we should recite for the cause of Palestinian freedom? Not a specific surah, um, but a dua. And the best dua, you know, we have, we've actually posted at Yaqeen's website duas for people that are oppressed. Um, and, and you can find them like the Fortress of the Muslim, uh, Hasnul Muslim, which is a great uh, compilation of duas, duas for the oppressed. But the best dua, the best supplication is your personal supplication at the end of the day. Make dua in your own language. Just give it a few minutes every single night and just make dua in your own language for the people. Let let it be sincere from your heart, inshallah ta'ala. I'll add to that just one of the surahs that I find to be um, just very helpful in processing a lot of this is Surah Al-Hashr, 
right? And because it shows us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like even though, you know, at the time of the Prophet, like the Muslims, you know, and, and, and even, you know, you know the tribe of Bani Aldir, like they did not think that like that enemy could be overcome. Right, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right, with his power can overcome any force that's out there. And then also what I found beautiful about that surah was that like we have this notion sometimes that like you know the the, the oppressors are united. And if you look right now, like Netanyahu and, and the people within you know Israel are incredibly divided, right? I mean, because they recognize what a, what an absolute failure he is. But when you read these ayat where it says like you know, you think that their hearts are united, right, but they're actually divided. I think it gives us a lot of solace for today as well. So I think there's surahs that have tafsir. Um, I think, like you mentioned, surah al-Ahzab, going back and reading the you know, the, the ayat about the khandaq and how these verses, how seeing people attack Muslims can actually be a way to increase our faith. So those are some some surahs that I think might be helpful for us. All right, so we got another question coming up, and we're almost done here. Uh, coming from BioQuantized, uh, what actions can we do to help those in Palestine? So any specific actions we can do? Yeah, look, um, du'a, raise awareness, donate, um, you know, when, where, where you see organizations um, of, of legitimacy, inshallah ta'ala, that, that will have access, and continue to be engaged with the cause from a strategic perspective. You can volunteer where you're at, you know, I think Sister Nedwa mentioned this. Uh, look, you can find a role, but but find out who's organizing where you are, inshallah ta'ala, and join them in their efforts, inshallah. Uh, you can find a role in any way. Um, I'd also, you know, shout out to AMP, American Muslims for Palestine, put out like some great toolkits, inshallah ta'ala. So look up the American AMP website, American Muslims for Palestine, some of the toolkits that they put out on how to get involved. Wonderful. Yeah, and just about donation, the, there should be uh, in the chat, uh, people can find a link to donate. So uh, that's an organization that, um, that uh, the UNRWA. So um, so with that, inshallah, I think we're actually we also put out like Beitul Mal. Like there's yeah. some like there's some organizations that are that are there. Um, you know, I know Pious Projects um, out of Chicago. So just right now, you got to understand that there are organizations. Right now, no one's getting through. Unfortunately, right now, no one is getting through. But organizations that had the infrastructure that were already present around the area. Uh, and we we don't want them to be depleted once they're able to get through. We want them to have the full thrust and shall to be able to go through, go forth with their supplies. Um, so I feel very hesitant, like sometimes recommending specific organizations. But I would say, um, you know, those who are who are uh, there, inshallah ta'ala, um, already uh, make sure that we were able to get there, inshallah. So we are about at our time. So inshallah, we'll wrap it up. Um, I hope you've all found this beneficial as a source of giving us uh, tools for resiliency coping and ways to strengthen ourselves for our brothers and sisters right who are in Palestine um, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give them victory to give them steadfastness uh, to remove the oppressors and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be in their aid and to give us all victory ultimately in al-akhirah subhanahu rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun ala al-mursaleen walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen jazakum khairan wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh